I had a great friend in high school and college. We were just like brothers for, for much of high school and college. One of the funniest people I've ever met. You know those people that can make you laugh so hard, you cry. <laughs> well, that was not planned. <laughs> I lost my voice there. I wasn't crying. Uh, it makes you laugh so hard, you cry. And uh, man, this guy had the wit of Kevin Hart, the facial expressions of Jim Carrey, the funniest guy. I used to love to hang out with this guy. We would keep each other accountable for different things we were going on, going through in life. If something was going on and it was a difficult season, we were there to pray for each other, talk with each other, and encourage each other. This was the guy I would call if I was going through something. I just needed some prayer. This was the guy I would call, or he would call me if he was going through something, maybe felt tempted to do something, knew he shouldn't do. We would kind of talk each other off the ledge, so to speak, and speak a little sense into each other. And so it was pretty common for us to give each other a call or to wind up at each other's dorm room and just say, hey man, pray for me or I need some help or man, I was about to do something dumb. And so one night I'm in my dorm room and I got a call and it was him. And I said, what's up, bud? He said, I need you to bail me out. And I said, okay, bro, like what's going on? And he said, no, Doug. And he got really serious. He said, Doug, I need you to bail me out of prison. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, just, just, just come down uh, this is the amount of money we need. Please come get me out of jail. And so I didn't have a car. So I looked at my, my roommate and we jumped in the car together and we drove down. We had scraped together all the money we could. We showed up at the precinct and a police officer met us outside and he said, I just want to let you know that uh, what your friend did was pretty messed up. And he explained kind of what happened. We went in, we bailed him out and he walked out, couldn't look us in the eye, sat in the backseat of the car and wept his way back to the school. My question for you is, what is the end of this guy's story? Like, historically, often people who are close to Jesus and then go through something like that and make some really horrible choices, it's over, you know? It's over, at least for a long time. And the church looks at somebody like that and maybe pushes them away. And maybe you and I don't quite know what to do in that circumstance. Honestly, at 20 years old, I didn't know what to do in that circumstance. I sat in the front of that car going, what the heck now? I don't know what to do with my friend. What do we do with those people? What do we do with the people that we rub shoulders with every day that are far from God, that maybe are doing some things that we wouldn't feel comfortable with? How do we approach them? Do they feel loved by us, judged by us, embraced by us, pushed away by us? I had another friend, high school and college, and this guy, man, he grew up, married the girl of his dreams, and ended up having a family, and all was going well. And then one day as he's Driving down the street, he decides to make a really bad decision and he ends up in a part of town where he knew he could find a prostitute and he tried to solicit this prostitute and she turned out to be a police officer. He was arrested and his whole life fell apart. Lost his family, lost his wife, everything. His job, just everything fell apart. My question is, what do you feel inside toward that guy right now? Look, there's some anger that rises up in us, I think. So maybe even some righteous anger. Like, what was this guy doing? Why would he do that to his family? And, And how could he do this? But at the same time, do we just write him off? Like, is the story over? Is that the end of his relationship with God, the end of his relationship with the church? Again, historically, not our church specifically, but the church hasn't gotten this right too well, right? Very often, we've just pushed people aside. We've decided, well, I guess that's the end of their story then. And so today, I want to talk with you about what to do in those moments when someone falls, when someone makes that bad choice. I want to talk with you about the people you rub shoulders with every week that maybe don't believe anything like you. How do we interact with these people? What are we to do to reach them and to, to pour into them? And, and is there hope for them? And what's the end of these guys' stories? And how does this all play out? What should our attitude be towards others', others sin? This is your friend who's addicted, man. He was clean for a long time. Or maybe he got clean, but he fell back into it. Do you write him off? What do you do? This is the friend who had the affair and destroyed their family. How do you interact with them now? This is the friend 
that maybe sits at the desk next to you and you talk with them every single day about this anger and unforgiveness that they have in their heart and you're like, you gotta forgive, you gotta love, you gotta forgive, you gotta let it go and they just won't let it go. What do you do? What do you do? What's our attitude toward other people's struggles? This is so big, right? Because we're in this series talking about freedom and so far we talked about the freedom that we get to walk in, that Jesus rescued us from trying to save ourselves. Wow, if you're not a follower of Jesus, let me say that again. Jesus rescued us by dying on the cross so that we wouldn't have to try to rescue or save ourselves. We're free because of what Jesus did. But then last week we found the balance, right? That just because we're free doesn't mean that we should do whatever we want and run into all kinds of sin that's going to cause terrible things to happen in our lives. Jesus loves us enough to want us to walk free of even that. But today I want to talk with you about helping others find freedom. You see, you and I have found some freedom in God. What does it look like to help others? And the problem is, I think that as we look at the church at large, what we find are a lot of graceless people, a lot of judgmental people. Again, not our specific church necessarily, but at the church at large, people who kind of shake their heads a lot at the people around us who have fallen. And so what would it look like to become different? What would it look like for us to continue on Because the truth is, there's a lot of people outside these walls that need Jesus, that need the hope of Jesus, and they're not going to run into someone's arms when our arms are folded, right? They're not going to try to approach us and say, oh, tell me about this Jesus when our backs are turned, right? And so what does it look like to reach them? But even more specifically today, we're really going to dive into what happens when someone in this room, someone in this room, or someone you grew up with, and they were following Jesus, man, but they fell, And they fell hard and it was ugly. What do you do then? See, we want to be the kind of church that knows how to answer that question. And I think more and more God's calling us to be that bright shining light on this island. And so I hope you'll stick with me today as we work through this and as we learn how to not be those harsh, judgmental Christians, but to to run toward the mess. What does that look like? What would it look like to run toward the difficult situation, the difficult person, the brokenness, and help carry some of that burden. And I do want to say this. I know I came out a little intense today. I do want to say this. I think a lot of us are getting this right. A lot of you sitting out there, man, you're living this already. Thank you for that. Thank you for being gracious. Thank you for being loving. Thank you for extending open arms to people who are struggling. Thank you for that. But let's keep growing in it. And if we're wrestling with this, we're going to work on it today and hopefully grow a little bit in it. You might say, but isn't this like a pastor thing? Like, why is this important for me? No, it's not a pastor thing. This is an everybody thing. This is a whole church thing. You see, islands don't get changed when a pastor decides to live this out. Islands get changed when a church decides to live this out, right? And so, man, I I wanna pray that you and I will grab a hold of this and we'll know what to do in those moments when somebody that we love or someone that we even are associated with made a really bad call. And maybe you're the person who made the bad call. Maybe you're the person who needs the help today, but you're afraid to bring it up. You don't know if you'll be met with open arms or judgment here today. And so you've been afraid to tell anybody here in this room what's been going on in your life. And today I hope that that will change. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, like I said earlier, first off, I want you to know Jesus loves you. He came to rescue you. But secondly, I have to apologize to you. I have to just humble myself and say, I'm so sorry if you've ever felt pushed away by the church, if you've ever been rejected by the church, if there's ever a time when maybe you did something that was wrong and then it just seemed like your relationship with God was over, the story was over for you, because I don't think that's what God's heart is, and we're going to really look at that here today. And so we're going to be wrapping up Galatians today. We've been going through this book for six weeks now, and 
You know when you're writing a letter and at the end you kind of start to get a little bit all over the map when you're writing your closing statement. Remember, this was a letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians, and so you just start to say random things toward the end of the letter, right? I'm having a great time. I hope to come home soon. Make sure the sprinklers are programmed to go on. Say hi to John. I'll be bringing some food with me. I'm going to hit that new cheesesteak place in Comac on the way home. Chitties. We've been there, right? Have we been to Chitties? Please tell me. You guys know that Long Island has no good cheesesteaks. We fell. We got bagels. We got pizza. We got delis. And we're horrible at cheesesteaks, okay? The meat's got to be right. The bread's got to be right. The cheese's got to be right. The seasoning's got to be right. And Chitties gets it as right as they can on Long Island. So you need to go. Every bite, I rededicate my life to the Lord. It's a glorious thing, all right? So please, please go today. It's right by uh, Emilio's and the bowling center there over in Comac. It's small, so you'll probably want to take it out. Um, I'm getting slight compensation for saying that. But, but Paul is kind of all over the place. They're paying me cheesesteaks. I'm going to be in trouble. Paul is all over the place in the, end of, in the end of chapter, or really all of chapter 6. And as I open up chapter 6, I'm like, i got to preach a message out of this? Like, how am I going to preach a message out of this? I'm going to be talking about 17 different topics. And as I really begin to pray through it, I just felt like we focused on the first few verses. It goes right along with what we're saying today. Because the Galatians were wrestling with this too. Galatians 6.1 says this. It's just so important, guys. Ready? Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Does it feel like maybe we missed this verse for a while? Like they had this recently? Like, like how do we not see this, right? Uh, I think one of the most important things we have to realize is that Paul brought this up for a reason. Like he didn't just write random facts to the people. No, he was writing to equip them so they'd be ready because stuff like this is going to happen. We're going to sometimes find a brother or a sister caught in sin. And so what do we do then? Again, historically we've pushed away and we've decided their story must be over. Or maybe, you know what, when they get themselves together they can come back. But man, this is a whole different thing that Paul is bringing up here. And he's saying, look, I want to let you know, the kind of caught in the sin that I'm talking about, Paul saying, is not like, aha, I found you, I caught you. No, the caught in the sin is like, oops, I didn't see this coming and now I'm in trouble. It's not that we all caught them and busted them. It's that the person found themselves suddenly caught and entrapped by the sin. Has anybody in the room, please raise your hand in just a minute if it's true of you. Have you ever gotten your belt, loop, or pocket caught on a doorknob? Just real quick, be real with me today. Thank you. All right. Now, I consider myself a slightly intelligent person, but this happens way more often than you would think. And it's always at the worst moment. I'm carrying an old tub out of the bathroom. I'm taking it outside, and the loop gets caught on the door. Oh, man, what about when you're transferring the kids from the car seat? You pick them up, right? The transfer went well from car seat to shoulder. All you got to do is get inside. You step over a skateboard and a bike in the driveway. You open up the front door. You step on a squeaky board. The monster starts to awaken, right? You begin to sing. You sing Rockabye Baby and two Journey songs. And the baby's back asleep, right? You're so close, so close, just into their door. And man, you're... Your good old belt loop gets caught on that doorknob and the inertia wakes them and they're awake for six hours now, right? The worst time this ever happened to me, I was out on a boat. It's a slight variation of the story here I, 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 or, or the whole concept of the doorknob. I'm out on a boat and my dad says, hey, it's your turn to go ahead and, and ski. So I jump off the side of the boat and my belt loop gets caught on the cleat on the side of the boat and I'm hanging upside down <laughs> off the boat and I'd still be there if my uncle hadn't un- untied me from the side of the boat. That's the kind of we're talking about today. It's that caught that goes, wow, guys, come on, we've all been there. I did not see this coming. How did I end up here? 
How did I get caught here? How did I end up back at addiction? How did I end up back at anger and unforgiveness? How did I end up back looking at impure things? How did I end up back at gossip? How did I get caught by this? And Paul says, okay, so when that happens, because it will, when that happens, he says, you who walk by the Spirit or are living by the Spirit, so we talked about last week, right? Walking by the Spirit or walking in accordance with the Spirit, right? Though we're not perfect, we just aren't also hanging off the boat right now, right? So we can help someone. I would never have gotten off the boat if someone else hanging off the boat also tried to help me off the boat, right? That person needed help too. But if I'm on the boat and I can reach over and help somebody else who's caught at the moment, though I'm imperfect and very quickly can find myself also hanging from the boat, right now I can help, right? And that is what Paul is saying here. In fact, he uses a Greek word, katartizo, katartizo. And that word means to restore to a former condition. So in other words, Paul's saying this, hey man, this dude wasn't hanging off the boat always, right? Something happened here. Let's restore him to the former condition. And so if your former condition was faithful, but you've fallen off the boat and you've become adulterer, well, let's restore them back to faithful. If you were clean, but you fell off the boat and became addicted again, let's restore you back to clean. If you were loving and at peace, and now you've become angry and unforgiving, let's restore you. Let's get you back, right? That's what Paul is talking about here. Some of you guys are saying, okay, Doug, this is, um, this is interesting and all, but I can already hear the objection. I can already hear the objection. Some of you guys are saying, well, what about the guy who was sleeping with his dad's wife? And everybody woke up in church, right? Whoa, what did Doug just say? Well, see, in Corinthians, we, we find this kind of interesting story. It's really kind of strange. You should read your Bible. It's juicy sometimes, right? 1 Corinthians 5, look at what it says. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now, from what we understand, he's not sleeping with his actual mom. He's sleeping probably with the, the woman that his father remarried. Probably a stepmom, okay? But I love Paul goes, even the pagans, even the people who don't believe, they have no tolerance for this. Then verse two, and he says, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? So this is a very different type of situation. Paul says, hey, here's what's going on. This, this is really messed up because not only is this a problem, what's going on, but you guys are like proud of it. There's no repentance. There's no heart of like, oh man, I'm caught. I'm stuck. Help me. You guys are celebrating this. And so Paul says, this is a really different situation. Then he says, so when you're assembled and I'm with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Now that sounds super intense. It's like, whoa. Now he's not literally saying we all wait and Satan shows up with his pitchfork, right? And takes the guy out the door. What is he saying? He's saying, look, this guy, he's destroying the church. And so you need to get him outside the church for a little while. Have you ever had a friend that needed to hit rock bottom? Right? He just said, oh man, He's not going to change till he hits rock bottom. And there's a love in your heart, right? You're not saying, oh man, that person better hit rock bottom. I hope the worst for them. You're going, man, he's, he's still not there. He's still not right. He's going to hit rock bottom and then he'll see. That's what Paul is saying here. We're going to take the covering of God and the church out of this guy's life for a season and he's going to be out there for a minute and look at what it says. So that his spirit might be saved on the day of the Lord. Not judged, not rejected. The hope here is what? Restoration. That this guy who's doing something really, really wrong will 
wake up and come back to his senses and he'll put his trust back in Jesus. And we find out in the next book that it worked. We find out and Paul says, hey, welcome that guy back. Welcome that guy back. He's repented. Draw him back in. Don't be too harsh to him, right? So incredibly powerful. And then we jump back to Galatians 6.1. Let's talk about that last word. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. That word, katartizo, right? Gently. In other areas of Scripture, it means mending nets or this. You ready? Setting a broken bone. Think about it. Think, hey, I got kids. A lot of you have kids. Think about taking your, your child with their, their broken leg to the doctor and imagine how you want the doctor to set that bone. Imagine how you want them to take care and to make sure that it's done gently and with love and with compassion. That's what Paul is saying here. Look at what Jesus says in just a minute because this is so powerful. Some of you guys are going, all right, man, I hear you, but I'm, I'm still really angry at the person who did what they did because it destroyed a life, destroyed a family. I'm still really angry. Or I'm so tired of this friend because, you know, they're back in that state again. And there's this almost anger that rises up in us. But, but Jesus helps us understand the kind of heart we have to have. And man, I just pray this is the heartbeat of this church. It's so the heartbeat of, of what I desire for us to be as a church as we minister to one another and we reach a community around us. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 3. This is what we have to get if we're going to ever be this restoring church. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. What's going on here? Jesus has this word picture for us. I want you to imagine a little speck of dust in your friend's eye and a huge plank of wood in your own eyes, okay? And Jesus is equating the other people's sin as what? The smaller issue in comparison to our issue, right? Now, my wife and my daughter always tell me how lucky I am. I am so lucky. You know why? Because I have great eyelashes. They're, they're like, wow, you, I'm so jealous of you. And I'm like, thanks, but I wish my genetics had instead made me jacked and I don't know, have hair. That would be great, you know? But instead, I got great lashes, okay? And once in a while, these things will turn in on themselves or turn in on my eyeball. And it doesn't feel great, but it's not the end of the world, right? That's what it feels like to get some sawdust in your eye, right? It hurts. It's, it's a little nuisance, but not the end of the world. And, and Jesus here is trying to help us understand we think the other person's sin is the end of the world. We think it's the worst thing. And Jesus is saying, you got planks coming out of your eyes. Really, what's he saying? He's going, hey, you know what the attitude we have to have is? My sin. This is hard, guys. Hard for me to say and believe this. It's hard, but it's true. Jesus says, we got to say my sin is the biggest problem in this room. Minus. Look what he says. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own? He's going, how do you expect to restore anybody when you have issues of, yourself, of, your, of your own that are so much bigger and worse than the other person's issues, right? This past week, as you know, was Kids Week. It was a crazy week. It was a great week. Little kids putting their trust in Jesus, some awesome fun, a lot of laughter, some amazing things. About midweek, I'm tired, man. Working through it, trying to keep up. And Kelly and I got into a disagreement. And the truth was, I needed to be there for her, and I wasn't. There, there's some things that I just needed to be better at communicating with, with her, and I needed to be listening to her. I needed to be feeling a little bit of what she was going through. I needed to just be a better friend to her in that moment, and I just wasn't because of the busyness. And I kind of, my, the planks in my eyes were, I'm busy, it's a crazy week, and, and we're going to get past the week, and then we can, you know, figure out what we got to figure out. And so we had disagreement. 
I had nowhere to go because the property was overwhelmed with humans, which is awesome. The office was full, which is great. I love it. So I sat in my car on the property and I look at my notes to get ready to teach the next day's curriculum. And guess what it said? Galatians chapter 5, gentleness. It said, these are the words that were typed on the curriculum. Being a friend to someone, feeling what they feel, listening to them when they need to talk. It takes a lot to be gentle. God's spirit gives us strength when we need it. It sounds a lot like some guy's sermon last Sunday, doesn't it? Isn't that funny? And I went, dang it. <laughs> I went, man, all I could see, all I was trying to do was find the little specks, those little things in her eye, and I was missing the planks in my own eyes. I was missing how I had missed it. And so I immediately just texted her and apologized and said, hey, let's, let's talk about all this and work it all out. And, and that is the planks distorting my view. See, that's the thing we forget is when you have planks in your eyes, you can't see. Like if I had two planks up here, I literally would not be able to see any one of you. How am I going to see the little, the little sawdust in your eye? And so Jesus says, and we have to have this different attitude. Look at this. This is tough, but, but let's swallow it and go. Come on. Our own sins ought to appear greater to us than the same sins in others. That's, that's intense. That's really what Jesus is saying here. Hey, if you both struggle with anger, you walk in the room going, okay, my anger problem's bigger right? Uh, and, and if that's true, then it means even worse, more disproportionate sins, then we still have to take that attitude, right? If the same sin, I have to look at the other person and say, I got a bigger problem than you do, then we have to do that even when it comes to bigger struggles. So I'm in the room with a murderer. Okay, I have anger in my heart. Well, Jesus said, if I have anger in my heart, it says if I've committed murder, right? So Jesus really leveled the playing field, right? In verse 5, he says, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus doesn't say, hey, don't go help them. He just says, deal with your problems and realize they're the bigger problem in the room. Realize they're the thing that you need to be focused on. A few years ago, I had horrible pain in my eye, and so we went to a walk-in clinic, first mistake. Walk-in clinics are great, but not for your eye. And so I get in there, and the lady starts like, poking around, she's shining light, she dilates it, brighter light, and then she goes, I think I have to biopsy it. I'm like, what? You don't biopsy an eye. And Kelly told me later on that she saw her taking a, like a needle, like 15-inch needle out, ready to biopsy, biopsy my eye, and I'm like, peace, I'm out, right? We took off. But that's us, guys. That's us. Some of us, we've got our needle out, and we're looking for the little sawdust in our our spouse's eyes, our coworker's eyes, that friend's eyes, like, I'm here to help, right? And they're like, I'm out, I'm out. And Jesus, no, no, let's deal with the problem in our own heart. And that's the thing, is just that attitude. What would happen if you walked into this room? Because guys, listen, it's church, man. It stinks, I hate it, but we disagree sometimes, don't we? We have conflict in the room sometimes, don't we? We have people in here, you're, you're at this service because you know the other person's at 9.30 or coming tonight at 7. It stinks, but it's the reality. I hate it, I hate it. I want to help you work through it. But it's just the reality. You get a few hundred people in a room, it's going to happen. But what would happen if you and I walked in every Sunday and you just said, you know what? My sin struggle is the biggest problem in this room today. And you know what? So-and-so at the 930, we got to figure this out. We got to work this out. What, what would happen in your marriage? What would happen in your relationships? It's a whole different way to think about it. And so Paul kind of keeps us going in that direction. In the next part of Galatians 6.20, he says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. And what, what's he saying? He said, hey, restore that person. Set their broken leg. But the truth is, be careful. Be careful. 
Well, why, Paul? Why should I be careful? You should be careful because you could really quickly fall into the same thing they fell into. So be humble, right? Like, yes, carry the addicted person's weight, but be careful because you might be tempted there as well. Yes, uh, carry the weight of the, the unfaithful person. Carry the weight of the angry person. Carry the weight of the gossiper. Yes, help them. Restore them. But watch yourself because, man, you and I can so quickly fall off the side of the boat, can't we? Galatians 2, carry each other's burden. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Wow, imagine doing that for one another. Guys, this is messy. It's not easy. It's painful. But imagine doing this for each other. I was working with a guy on my house this past week, and he's not a follower of Jesus. So we began talking. What do you do? And the whole pastor thing's always a pretty easy lead-in to a conversation about God, which is awesome. And so even if I wasn't a pastor, I'd probably tell people I am so I could just witness to them. Oh, that's lying. That's not good. And so there I am. I'm in the conversation. I am a pastor, so it's okay that I did that. And so there I am having the conversation. And he, uh, he goes, hey, man, if you ever come across someone who's like a troubled youth, I'd love to just like talk to him and be able to encourage him. I had a rough upbringing. And then like he didn't even finish the sentence. He said, but... I'm a little bit scared because I have heard some stories about that really going bad. And I said, bro, I said, sometimes you're able to help people and it goes well and sometimes it goes bad. You just have to decide that you're not going to give up even when it goes bad, that you're not going to say, I'm not doing this anymore, even when it's messy. And that's the thing here. Paul's calling us. Jesus is calling us. They're calling us to run to the messes, to run to carry each other's burdens. Yesterday morning, I'm asleep. I don't wake well. I don't wake quickly. I'm a slow waker. I hate mornings. I like sleep in the morning. I could stay up nice and late, but I hate mornings. And so yesterday, real early, all of a sudden, I hear my wife going, Doug, Doug, Doug. And I'm like, out of it. All of a sudden, she dives across our bed. I'm like, what is going on? I haven't even like opened half an eye yet. And I look up, and as we've been doing renovations in the house, one of the things that I had moved was a door which was leaning against the wall, which right at that moment fell and was about to land on me. And my wife dived across the bed, one-handed, catches the door before it hits me. Can someone applaud in church today? Wow. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, I'm like, <laughs> idiot, right? She's holding the door over me while I'm trying to wake up. Guys, carrying each other's burdens. Sometimes we're about to get slammed by something, right? What would it look like to hold that weight for somebody else? And sometimes we have to carry each other's burdens before the fall even comes, that we love somebody enough to look at them as they're on a really bad road going, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. I love you enough. Awkward conversation, messy conversation. Please don't walk down that road. You might not talk to me for a while, but please don't walk down that road. Please be careful, right? What would it look like for you and I to come alongside that broken person, that person the whole church gave up on, that person everybody said, oh, there's no hope for them anymore. Guys, isn't that who we all are? Aren't we all the people there was no hope for anymore and God still came through for us, Right? Who's that person in our life? Who can we point back? Who just needs some hope today? And I love that it says here that when we do this, we fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, we're doing what we're supposed to do. We're loving one another as we want to be loved, as we talked about last week. And so here, if I could sum it all up, if I could give you a bottom line to walk away with, I'm going to give you a longer one and then a real simple one. The first one is this, people walking in freedom help others walk in freedom. That's what I want you guys to take a hold, grab a hold of today. That's what Paul's saying. That's what Jesus said. 
That's how we're going to wrap this series up. That people, you and I, who are walking in freedom, help others find freedom now. And maybe you're like, but Doug, I am like 50% in freedom because I still got some stuff going on. Okay, but there's somebody at 40% freedom or 0% freedom that needs your help. There's somebody down the road a little bit behind you that could use your influence in their life. Right? And so what would it look like for you to be that person? Simpler bottom line, free people, free people. Right? Free people, you and I, people who have had freedom in our lives from struggles and addictions and hardships and different temptations. Now we get to go free people, those who are still stuck, like we've been talking about here in this series. And so be that person, man. Be, a, be that free person that helps free another person. What's it going to look like? It's going to look like restoring them gently. And so here's something you got to do. You got you to go to God to deal with the anger in your heart. I don't, I don't really want to restore that person, man. They, they, destroyed, they destroyed so much. Okay, so you, you talk with God about that and let that anger be dealt with in your heart. And I don't want to help them. They're, 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 they're in their mess again, all right? Go to God about that anger. It means we restore them as equals. Like, I don't look at somebody else and say, you know what, man, you're, you're way beneath me in what you're going through. No, man, I remember my sin's the biggest problem in the room today. And we restore them as, as equals. And I could fall into the same sin real quick if I'm not careful. Don't expect overnight transformation, right? And sometimes it's going to be a bit of a ride. It's going to be a bit of a hike. It's going to take some time. And like I said, sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't. And we have to decide I'm still going to restore. I'm still going to love. I'm still going to do what God's called me to do. There may be some slip-ups. You may get five-yard gain and then get pushed back 20, right? But then you say, all right, well, let's get back up and let's keep going, Right? Gentle, like removing sawdust from your kid's eye. Keep pointing them to love and grace and carrying that burden, man. Just, just practical stuff, praying for them, praying for them, talking with them, texting them, encouraging them. You know what it means? Sometimes it means just sitting with them so that they're not alone. I don't know about you. When I'm going through a lot, my mind can just wander and I can go to dark places pretty quickly when I get real sad about stuff. Or, I mean, just, just to know someone's in the room with you and they care I'm not a gifted counselor. My wife's incredible, and she saves lives by catch, catching doors. But um, the two most powerful counseling sessions I was ever involved in is when I talked the least, and I was just literally physically in the room with somebody who was really, really broken. And we left a lot of time for just praying, talking to God, because I honestly didn't have the wisdom that I needed or that they needed at that moment. But I knew God, and I knew we could pray together. And secondly, we just sat in silence for a long time. And there's something powerful about a friend that'll sit in, in a room with you for two or three hours because they just know you're hurting. And so you don't have to have a biblical degree in counseling. You don't have to have all the theology worked out. You could just be in the room with somebody and God can use you in an awesome and powerful way. And I want to say this too. Some of you guys need restoring. Some of you have let us restore you. Some of you are sitting in the seats right now. You, you've gone through something. You got caught. You were on the hook, so to speak. And you came to us. And you said, I need help, and we helped you. And there's more of you in the room today that you're on the hook, man, and you're afraid, you're afraid to say anything. But man, we want to be there for you, and I hope today you see the heart. We, we want to walk through life with you. We're willing to, to enter the messes with you if it'll help you find freedom in Jesus. And if we do this, we fulfill the law of Christ. We do what Jesus called us to do. And so what about those two guys from the beginning, right? What happened? What happened? The guy who made a horrible mistake, I promised him I would never tell anybody what he did, so that's why I'm not telling you what he did. But what happened? Is this story over? And thank God he's following Jesus today. God rebuilt 
his life. It took a long time, but God rebuilt his life. What about that second guy who, who tried to hire a prostitute and got arrested? And Praise God, he's, he's walking with Jesus. God rebuilt his life. He sent me this message just a few days ago. He said, God has been really good. I'm thankful for his mercy and goodness in my life. And part of the reason he wrote me, actually 99% of the reason he wrote me, was to help somebody else find freedom from their struggle. And that's the power. Free people, free people, right? And so, man, what does it look like for you to be that one of those people? And if you need restoring and if you need help, man, that's why we're here. We want to walk with you and we want to help you find the hope and the freedom that Jesus has for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you are so loved. He desires to know you. He desires to do life with you. He desires to strengthen you and encourage you and walk with you through all that you go through. So if you're here today, you never put your trust in Jesus before, man, it would be my honor and pleasure to be able to pray with you now and just lead you in a few words that you can say to start that conversation. But Christians in the room, let's be those people. Let's be those freedom fighters, right? Let's remember this series. The book of Galatians just summed up real quick. Jesus saved us so we don't have to save ourselves. That's the freedom he gave us. Now we get to walk free of those sin struggles. Well, not perfectly. We're going to stumble here and there, but we don't have to be owned by him. And lastly, we now get to help others find their freedom. Let's pray together. God, we love you. You're good to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. And God, help us now be the people that go change the world, the people that show the love we've been shown, the grace we've been shown. Oh God, help us so much. It's not easy. It's not easy to run to the messes, but I thank you, God, that this is what you call us to. And this is what you did, Jesus. You ran to the messes of our lives and you helped us and you rescued us and you pulled us up off that cleat on the side of the boat. God, we thank you so much for what you did for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, can you pray about that? Who in your life do you need to help restore? Who in your life do you need to point to the hope of Jesus? Who in your life have maybe you written off? And let me just qualify this real quick, because I know some of this can get messy. And, and, and of course, if there's sexual abuse involved. There's things like that to you, aimed at you. Then, then you get yourself away. Let, let us help. Let us help with that. But with those types of things put off to the side, who do you know that needs new grace today, new open arms today? If you're not a follower of Jesus, you want to put your trust in him, I encourage you to just pray with me now. Jesus, thank you so much that you love me, God. Thank you so much that you died for me on the cross and that you now want me to know you. Now you want me to walk in freedom. Now you want me to enjoy the grace and the mercy and the love and the hope that you've purchased for me. So before we open our eyes today, I want to make sure that anyone that put their trust in Jesus for the first time gets a lot of prayer this week, and I would love to be praying for you. And so the way you could let me know real quick is just look me in the eyes if this is the first time you ever prayed that. Anybody here in the room ask Jesus to be their Savior for the first time today? I want to make sure you got a lot of prayer going up for you this week. How about over here on this side of the room? God, we love you. We're excited about what you're doing. God, let us be a church that runs toward the messes and has open arms for those that need freedom.